advent. Um, amazing fact that God breaks into history. He came and dwelt among us. And it would change all of history. It changes our eternal destiny for those who put our faith in Him. And it is an amazing thing to focus on and remember. But much like the first century, our world is like what was happening then in the Roman Empire. There's a lot of busyness, right? Things are happening. Projects are being built. There are a lot of political things going on. There's a lot of busyness. There's a lot of noise. It's true today. It was true then. Yet even within all the busyness and all the noise, God was behind the scenes, quietly, almost imperceptibly, bringing his kingdom, bringing his Messiah. And sadly, most of the Roman world would miss it. And sometimes in this season of Advent, we can miss it too. Because we allow the noise to drown it out. One of the things that God does, though, to get people's attention, is he sent a messenger. A man we call John the Baptist. He's really the, the first baby of the Advent or the Christmas story. And he sends this baby, who will grow up to be a man, to prepare the way for the coming of his son. And so I want to kind of focus on this messenger, this herald, and see where, as he called the people of the time to prepare the way for the Lord, where we can prepare the way in our own hearts in this Advent season, remembering what God has done for us in sending his Messiah. So let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into the scripture and just see where we can make those connections, okay? So, Lord, again, we are grateful for this season where, Father, we remember that you sent your Son, and it has made all the difference in our lives. And, Lord, if there's somebody today who has not put his or her faith in you, Lord Jesus, would you be revealing yourself would you be doing a work in his or her life to see the life that you want to give them today? So, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Use your word to speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So the first thing in preparing the way for his coming is to rejoice in a God who is not abandon us. You know, sometimes when we're waiting on God to do something, to change a situation, it can feel like that, right? Like, God, have you forgotten me? Have you abandoned me? This is true in the first century, right? The Jewish people, yeah, they're back in their land, but they're under Roman occupation. They have a man who's calling himself Herod, Herod the Great, who calls himself the king of the Jews, but in actuality he is an Edomite, and he's ruling for Rome, and he's ruling for his own interests. He is a vicious dictator. It's been about 400 years since they've heard from the prophets. 
Malachi was the last. And they're wondering, God, where's the promise of your kingdom? Where's the promise of your Messiah? When are you going to come and rescue your people? So it was true corporately for the Jewish people, the people of God. And it was true for a godly couple. An elderly Jewish priest and his wife, a man named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. And the scripture says that they were upright and godly people following the law. Yet, over all this time, they were without a child because Elizabeth was barren. And and that society, the rumors were, what's wrong with them? Why hasn't God given them a child? So it's a little bit of a public disgrace and scandal. They're feeling a little bit exposed. And yet they know they've lived faithfully before him. But now they're old and the possibility of having a child, at least on an earthly level, well, that ship has sailed. But God has something more in mind. And if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn it to the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And that's where we'll be primarily today. And so Zachariah is a priest. He works in the temple And his number got called to serve there. So we're going to pick it at verse 8 here in chapter 1. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. And he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then... An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled, and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. And he will be a great joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he is never to take wine or fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. And he will bring back many people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, think about what Zechariah and Elizabeth had experienced. And now this angel comes and tells Zechariah, your prayers have been answered. It's like, I'm thinking... Hey, I hit the lottery if I'm Zachariah, right? This is not going to be just some ordinary son. This son has purpose. There's been purpose in our waiting here. Now, just a quick, a quick review of what's been said. He's going to be a joy and delight. And many will rejoice at his birth, 14. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord. Hey, isn't it great when God speaks well of you? That's pretty amazing. Well, it's a pretty amazing thing for your son. He will never drink wine or fermented drink because at his birth he will be full of the Holy Spirit. He's not going to be influenced by wine. 
God is going to be the one who's going to influence him. And he'll bring back many to the Lord. He's going to be an instrument in drawing people who are far away from God back to their God. And he's going to go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. That's pretty, that's pretty heavy duty. If someone said that about a child of mine, I'd say, wow, that's an amazing thing. This is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Malachi uh, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. The last words of the Old Testament. This is going to come true through your son, Elijah. I don't know about you, but I'd be pretty excited to hear this news, especially if I'm a, a senior citizen now and thinking that, that you know, I would never going to have a son. And this messenger would be the one who's going to prepare the hearts of the people for the Messiah to come. And this is one of the beautiful reminders of Advent or Christmas. That God has not abandoned us. He has not forgotten us. He sees us. He sent His Son for us. Even though we are a people who have sinned and rebelled against Him. And God in His Son is for us. God in His Son is for us. For you and for me. The Apostle Paul would explain it this way, a little bit after the fact. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and interceding for us. Now this is not a name it and claim it passage. But what it tells us is if you are in Christ, God sees you. He cares for you. He gave His Son for you. How will He not along with Him give you all things? So I know that some of you in this room today are hurting. I know that some of you in this room are waiting. I know some of you in this room have lost a job. Lost a loved one. I know some of you are going through adversity. Maybe depression. Or anxiety. But I want to remind you to look up. To a God who has not forgotten you. To a God who has not abandoned you. Who says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And you may have to wait. I'm not telling you you won't, won't have to wait. He says, I see you. And I am for you. Especially in my son. I am for you. And I will meet you in my perfect timing. And I don't always know when that is. I don't know that we, any of us do, but he does. But he has, he has not lost sight of you. Just prepare your heart this season in remembering that God has not forgotten you. He has not abandoned you. But it's easy to let circumstances or the difficulty or the reality around us overwhelm us, right? 
And so number two, preparing the way for His coming is rejoicing in a God who calls us to believe in Him. Now let's, we're going to look at Zechariah's response. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife, she's well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now, you will be silent and not be able to speak until this day, uh, the, the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. In truth, the Scripture reveals that Zechariah has a, a less than overwhelming response. It, he's a priest. He has memorized the whole Torah. He has memorized the Old Testament. He should know these things. He knows God's track record to bring about miracle babies. Whether it's Hannah in the book of Judges to bring forth Samuel. Or it's Manoah and his wife to bring forth, let's see, Hannah, Samuel, Manoah, Samson, and then the patriarch, Abraham, and his wife, Sarah. Abraham, who's 100, and his wife, who's 90, Sarah, they have Isaac. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Was the question the angel asks Abraham. He knows this. He knows this. But sadly, he's bound by what he can see, what he can control, and what he understands. The angel says, God is breaking into history. The God who brought your people out of Egypt. The God who fed your descendants in the desert for 40 years. Do you think God is concerned about childbearing years? No. Zechariah wants a sign. You want a sign? You'll get a sign. You get the silent treatment. Literally. You're going to be quiet. Not only will you be quiet, you won't even be able to hear until all that I've said about a God who breaks into history brings these things to pass. God desires His people to believe Him. To take Him at His word. From the preaching of His gospel to the promises He puts in His word. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 5 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists. And that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him who take him at his word. What is the God who invaded history asking you to take him at his word for? To trust him with, and trust him with the outcome beyond what you can see, what you can understand. 
Maybe He's calling you in this Advent season to give beyond what you can see and trust that He is the God of your wallet and He can provide. Or maybe He's asking you to forgive somebody you're afraid is going to get away with it and for you to trust God with justice. Maybe He's going to call you to reach out to somebody who probably should be reaching out to you. But to do it anyway in faith. Or to release something or someone. Or maybe He's calling you to step in and step up to a place in a position where you're not sure you're qualified. You're not sure that you can do this on your own. And you can't. But He can do it in you and through you. Maybe He's calling you out of your comfort zone. Maybe He's calling you to share with that person you're nervous to share Jesus about. And just say, can I tell you what, what He's done? In my life, in my heart? Maybe He's asking you to serve someone who may never thank you but to do it in Jesus' name. What is the God who breaks into history asking you to do, to trust Him with? You see, one of the ways we connect with this God who invaded history is to allow Him to invade our lives by taking Him in His Word and say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to trust You to do beyond what I can see, what I can understand. And I trust that You're at work. And can do it. Well, as we go on with the story, Zechariah is quiet. In fact, everybody knows when he comes out of the, the temple that something has happened because he can't talk, he can't hear. And when the time is up, he goes home. He goes home. He has relations with his wife, Elizabeth. She conceives. And she knows that God is involved here. Something is going on. And she goes into seclusion for five months because in her mind, God has taken away her disgrace. And in the midst of that, in the sixth month, her cousin shows up who is pregnant with her own miracle baby. And Pastor Neil will be talking about that next week. Mary. But after she leaves, she gives birth to a son. And as in Jewish tradition, the name is given on the day of, of the circumcision, the eighth day. What's his name going to be? Let's name him Zachariah after dad. No, his name is going to be John. Nobody in your family is named John. John, by the way, means Yahweh is gracious. And certainly God had been gracious to Zachariah and Elizabeth. And so they get Zach's attention, right? Give him a tablet, and he just takes it and says, his name is John. And everybody goes, there's strange things afoot here in the foothills of Judea. God is at work. And all of a sudden, Dad, who was silent for nine months plus, busts out. He busts out in almost a song. It's not to doubt anymore, it's to give praise. You see, preparing the way 
for his coming is to rejoice in a God who keeps his word to his people. Indeed, God had kept his word to Elizabeth and Zechariah, but it's so much bigger than that. And what we have in verses uh, 67 through 79 is what we call Zechariah's song. There are two parts to it. So the first part is really about how God has kept his word to his people, verses uh, 67 through 75. Again, Notice Zechariah is not talking about doubt anymore. He's talking about affirming all that God will do, has done, and will bring to promise. This is Zechariah's song. First of all, he in verse 76, he recounts how God is keeping his promises to redeem his people. And he goes down in verse 68 to talk about David. David, who was the quintessential king, whose heart was after God's, who God promised in 2 Samuel 7 to one day bring a, a son of his who will sit on his throne, who will reign on God's throne forever. How does that happen with an earthly king? Interesting, right? But God is bringing this to, ba- to bear. A promise to the Hebrew fathers, verses uh, 71 through 72, to save them from their enemies and the mercy that, of the God in, as he remembers his covenant, as we remember in Malachi 7.20 or, or Psalm 106, verse 10. And then to Abraham, to Father Abraham, made thousands, a few thousand years ago, that he would call Abraham from the land of Chaldees to go to a place where he could not see because Abraham was exercising faith, and God would bless him, and that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars, and that They would possess the the cities of their enemies, and through Abraham's seed, all nations would be blessed. In Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 22. And a promise of safety to serve God, as is promised in Jeremiah 33, verse 6. And to be able to do so, to serve Him in holiness and righteousness. Jeremiah 33, 16. Why? Because ultimately... God, the Lord, would be their righteousness, as it says in that verse. Now, I know I've rattled off a whole bunch of stuff and promises. And that's just a sample size. But here's the thing. I don't know how you approach the Old Testament. Maybe sometimes you go, man, this is just a hodgepodge of a bunch of stories. I don't see how they connect. And I'm not saying it's not challenging at times. I'm not saying that you don't have to pay attention. But all throughout the Old Testament, God has His hand on history. He is taking His people somewhere. And He's going to bring His Messiah, His Savior, and it all starts to make itself known. God has His hand on history. He has made promises to his people along the way and now they're being fulfilled one of which is this son born to Zechariah and Elizabeth is the fulfillment of Malachi again verses uh, 6 and 7 that God would bring someone in the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers and then all the promises that relate to Christ there are at least 300 plus that Jesus has fulfilled already But history is going someplace and has been fulfilled in Christ and history is going someplace and will be fulfilled in Christ. 
In many ways, we are living in the now, but not yet. We're living in the now, but not yet. The promises of a coming Messiah to redeem us and rescue us and give us right standing for a living God. But then there will be that moment when God takes this broken creation and he fully reigns here on earth as he intended. And a chapter I'd love for you to read maybe today is Isaiah chapter 11, where it talks about this root of Jesse that we sang about earlier, actually, who will come, who will come, and because of his reign, nature itself will be healed. The wolf will lie down with the lamb, the leopard with the calf. A child will play by a cobra's den and not get bit. And this root of Jesse will be a banner for the nations. All of creation is healed. We're not there yet. But because God has been faithful in the past, He will be faithful to the future to make that happen. And to walk in that confidence of saying, yes, I see how God has been faithful. So as you're going through the Old Testament, and you see that moment where like, oh, this points toward Jesus. Make a little mark there. And as you do it more and more, you'll see how God is faithful. And he's always had a plan to redeem and rescue us because he keeps his word to his people. And the second part of Zechariah's song is preparing the way for his coming and rejoicing in a God who is the one who saves us. Verses 76 through 79. And it really is starting to ask the question, so what kind of Savior is this going to be? I think we sometimes take that for granted because you have to understand most of those first century Jews were expecting a military Savior. Someone who's going to come and kick the Romans out and going to set up the kingdom of God right now and all the Gentiles were going to perish except for maybe some who would become Jewish. That was their thought. It was a military uh, saving. And there had to be something about this, this Messiah that was different. So look at verse 20, 76. He'll be called the prophet, speaking of John, the prophet of the Most High. Who's the Most High that's being referred to? This Messiah. This Messiah. This is going to be more than just an earthly king. And that most high is referring to Jesus' deity. The next verse, second half of it, to go before the Lord and prepare His way, as Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 talks about. And we'll see that later on in, in John's earthly ministry in Luke chapter 3, verse 4, where he says, prepare the way of the Lord. You see, this Messiah is not just an earthly king. There's something that's divine about him. Let's go to the second part, verse 77. To give the people the knowledge of salvation through forgiveness of their sin. See, the emphasis of this, this Savior, this Messiah, is not to come and kick out the Romans or give a military salvation, but rather to be saved from the guilt of their sin before holy God. When John, in chapter 3 of Luke, is proclaiming, make straight the way of the Lord, 
What's he doing? He's calling people to repent of their sin. To turn back toward God because they need God to forgive their sin. To reconcile them to himself. And so John has a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. He baptizes them, right? Trusting that God's going to make that happen in this coming Messiah. Because we can't save ourselves. We need to be rescued. We need to be rescued. You know what's interesting? Some people didn't like John the Baptist in his call for repentance. Because they were convinced they, had, they were okay already by themselves. We, I got this together. I mean, I keep the law. I'm better than the next guy, right? The problem is, compared to perfection, we all fall short. Just something I want you to realize in chapter 3 of Luke. Jesus, the sinless Son of God, is baptized for baptism that's for sinners. Why does he do that? Why does Jesus, the sinless Son of God, go through a baptism for repentance? He doesn't need to. He's not guilty. He does so to identify with the people he's come to save. That as he goes upon the cross, he becomes the object of God's just wrath and taking our place. says, Father, I am stepping in. I'm stepping in for this guilty people that I might take that wrath upon myself. And then, think about this. In baptism, Christian baptism, we identify with what Jesus did for us. Think about this. When you go under the water, you're identifying with Jesus' death because He took that death for us. And then when you're brought back up, you identify with the new life we have in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus is baptized. He identified with us so ultimately we could identify with Him. And I don't know about you, but I'm so glad. Because as I look at my own life, I can see my own shortcomings. Well, let me wrap things up here. Verse 78 and 79. He is a prophet to reveal the heart of God because of the tender mercy of our God which the rising of the sun will come from <clears throat> come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide their feet into the path of peace. This is a combination of Old Testament passages. First Isaiah 9 verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness a light has dawned. And then Malachi chapter 4 verse, four, uh, verse 2 speaks of one of a son, S-U-N, of righteousness who rises with healing in his wings. This messenger points to a Savior who will reveal the darkness in us, but will also shine his light, a ray of righteousness in us to lead us out of death. Because that's where we're heading, apart from him. And to experience, as Zechariah says at the very end of verse 79, the path of peace.
peace with the living God. A wholeness that we don't have in ourselves. It's the concept, the Jewish concept of shalom, to be whole and restored before a holy God. Advent, Christmas, is a great time. It's a great time to tell others about this Savior. How they can be reconciled and made whole to Him before a holy God. But Advent and Christmas is also a great time to preach that same good news to yourself. To remember what God has done. Preach the gospel to yourself. To be humbled by the truth that you and I can't do what it takes to be holy before a holy God. We don't have it. We need God to meet us. And He did. And also to be overwhelmed and in awe of the extravagant gift He paid to send His Son for us. To pay sin's cost and to make us His own. And then to rejoice that even though He died, He rose from the dead. And that life is ours. And we have a glorious eternity beyond description. So here we are in Advent. Here we are in Christmas. Prepare the way. Prepare the way in your heart. And if today you're going, you know, Pastor, I'm not sure that I know him. I'm glad you're here. Because I hope you've heard the good news. That God is for you in his son, Jesus Christ. And he wants you to be reconciled to him. In another gospel, John, the scripture says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He is for you. He wants you to be his own. But you have to respond in faith today. And for the rest of us, I hope and I pray that you can lean into rejoicing in the Savior who came for you. Who sees you, who is for you, who made a way for you, who said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, who gave himself willingly for you, expensively, and has a glorious future for you. And no matter what happens to you on this side of earth, you are his. What an amazing thing to lean into. And I pray that you'll experience the joy of a Messiah who came for you. Prepare the way. Let me pray, and then we're going to enter into a time of remembering his extravagant gift. Lord Jesus, thank you for this word about your servant John the Baptist. I thank you that your ways are higher than ours and your timing was perfect. And in that moment where we thought you had abandoned us, you came, announced your good news and have made a way. And then one day you were going to return again and make everything right. But in the midst of that waiting, would you give us grace to rejoice, 
would you give us grace to proclaim the good news? And would you give us grace, Lord, to look forward and take you at your word? I'm grateful for this message from your word. And I pray that you would use it to encourage our hearts in this Advent season. And now as we turn our hearts toward remembering your sacrifice, Lord Jesus, would you be at work in us as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.